Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Yishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live on the Land of Israel Network, broadcasting from Jerusalem to the world. You're a part of it wherever you are. Shalom and welcome. We are here at beautiful Pardes Institute uh, next to Talpiot, Jerusalem, and I'm looking out the window, and it is thankfully a beautiful gray overcast day with uh, the kind of drops that make your car dirty at first uh, uh, when it starts to rain. I see the central city tower, and I'm so grateful and glad to be in Yerushalayim, and I'm so grateful and glad to be with Rabbi Mike Foyer. Shalom, Rabbi Mike. Hi, Isaac. And if you're here, that means that everything is here, according to Hillel, right? Imanikan Azakolkan. So if I weren't here, where would you be? I, I don't know, but <laughs> from your point of view, not here, right? right. Good thing I'm there. You know Hillel? You know, you know yes, our great know. sage, the Hillel, Hillel yes. the Elder, he comes in, he, he comes into Sukkot, and he just looks around, and every, like, there's like a million people, huge party, temple is aglow, sounds of ram's horns, and, 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 and the, the smell of giant barbecue, and he says, if I'm here, everything is here. I love that line. Yes. I love that line. Gotta walk with that in life. So deep. It's so deep. It's so, so deep. Because it really means that you, you got to be there. You, you got to be there to experience it. That's what God wants. He wants to. He's given us this gift called life. That is the greatest gift. It's a realization I have every single day. It's the greatest gift of them all is just life. Oh, you know man. what I remember that? When I want to text when I'm driving, okay? I'm like, you know what? This text right now is surely quite important, but I'm just going to have to wait until either I pull the car over or until I break because... The gift of life is much more precious than this text that I'm, or this annoying thing that I want to deal with right now, whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's a certain day. I try to hold it every time I'm feeling sort of like consumed by my annoyance. Right. Or, or something. <laughs> which consumed by annoyance. Yeah. That's like, that's like. It's a ridiculous notion, like consumed <laughs> by annoyance, right? That's exactly my point. Do you mean being a parent? Is that, is that. Uh, that's, that definitely is in there. And you know, other just little things in life, which in and of themselves are actually completely insignificant, but they hit you in that way. That yep, just, yep, yep, yep. So and you know, you know what it is also? You don't get enough sleep one day. That's true. I don't and, get enough sleep. Right. And then, and then something annoying happens and then the the next annoying thing happens do you remember when we were kids we used to stand on coke cans and you could balance exactly on the coke can right no problem it, right until somebody like just nips it touches yep. it and then smack it crashes that's yep. exactly what i feel like pressures are in this world you're like i'm i can handle this this is, this fine. is all good and then suddenly a little tiny thing throws you off this happened this morning i mock and i had an appointment for a financial thing and, and we've been preparing for this and this and that. We're driving to appointment. I'm sweating, pushing other things out of the way in life. And then the lady calls and she's like, did you get my message this morning that oh. I'm canceling? I'm like, no, I did not get your message, okay, lady? And, and, just like, and then I started getting consumed by annoyance. Yeah. But then my wife cheered me up and that's, that's the great thing about getting married. You just, you just oh, bump man. yourself up and uh, the other person. Anyway. Shalom, shalom and welcome everybody to the show. Uh, we have a great show, uh, I hope, with the help of God, we're going to have a great show for you today. And uh, we have a, a really fascinating Torah portion. Uh, Rabbi Mike, we've entered into the that zone, which, which it hasn't entered to this whole time. Basically, we've read now the book of Genesis, Bereshit. We've, uh, we went uh, about a third way uh, into the book of, uh, of Exodus, of Shemot. And it's been narrative. It's been narrative, narrative, narrative. A little bit of laws here and there. Suddenly we entered the different style of, of writing, of different style of Torah, the blueprint Torah. I'm going to now uh, send a blueprint down to you. And, and the, the reading mode, and this is a very interesting thing, the, the book of the Torah has different modalities of, of writing. In the same way that human experience has different modalities. 
You know, the, but I wasn't expecting that. I didn't know there was no sign that said it Parsha Truma we're going to go to to, to blueprint. Well, mode. in all fairness, it actually happened last week, though we weren't together. Right. Um, and one of the real powers, I think. Oh, right, 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 right. That's right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. We went to laws, laws, but even laws was like, let's put it this way: it could have been in the human humanities department at Yeshiva University or any other university. Right. I mean, laws hold a certain angle on narrative and um themselves. Right. Right. There's, there's there's narrative within laws. That's yeah. Mishpatim. And there was a lot of laws, and there were so many I wanted to talk with you about last week. We'll have to wait till next year. But this Torah portion is not in the, the humanities department building at all. It's in engineering. It's in engineering. Or, or in the art building. Right. It could actually man <laughs> and and but there's an importance there because the truth is I believe there's a parallelism that that you know there are lots of questions and maybe we'll get to it maybe we'll talk about it right now about whether the chronology of the way in which this parsha is presented is actually indicative of the, the narrative of mm-hmm. how it really happened or whether it's um, sort of a more conceptual chronology, meaning there's an argument whether when that's Moshe... What I, that's what I meant. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Because we didn't, we didn't do the sin of the, of the golden calf yet or, or I didn't know where this temple was coming from. I, I can understand that God gave me human laws and those human laws, Mishpatim, most of those laws, most, are quite reasonable, sensical on yeah. our, on our sure. earthly plane. They're all, all of God's laws are reasonable and sensical, but those are the ones that are That we easy, can understand. Right, that we can comprehend. Here, out of nowhere, they're telling me to make a cherub. What's that about? So I'm not so sure it's out of nowhere, and we'll, we definitely have to touch the Kruvim more in detail. But remember, there's an argument of the early medieval authorities whether, as you implied, the building of the tabernacle of the Mishkan was a response to the sin of the golden calf. That, so to speak, we blew it after Sinai. We showed we right. couldn't hold that experience, and God said, okay, listen, I'll give you a vessel that you can hold it. Right, that's how Rashi approaches it, which is why Rashi has that famous and sort of astoundingly confusing assertion, Ein muktam Torah, that there's no definitive chronology in the narrative flow here. So therefore, that the Parsha we're reading now actually didn't happen immediately after the standing at Sinai, but rather after the two weeks from now what we'll read in The Sin of the Calf. Or the Ramban who says just yeah, just just to flush clarify. that out, meaning to say it's it's uh, the 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 tabernacle is a physical manifestation of serving of God because it was laid bare that humanity Israel needed uh, some kind of form through which to serve God, some kind of more physical manifestation of godliness, mm-hmm. uh, and and therefore the sin of the golden calf was a sin of idolatry, a horrible sin, but in it also was a kind of request, shall we say, of the Jewish people saying to God, well, give us um, a pulchan. How do you say pulchan? A, um, a, a, a means of service. Okay. A means of service. Yeah, so well, I want to lay it out both sides because what you're, what you're speaking is... That was is, one side. Yeah, so that's one side, and we'll, leave it, we'll hang that on Rashi. As okay. it were, so the Ramban Nachmanides, right, thirteenth with an century, N. with an N, not Rambam, Ramban, <laughs> N, like like N, like like those naked milkshakes that you buy at the airport. I'm not really sure what that is. Really, you haven't flown enough in America. That's an that's a kosher product that you could get at the airport. It's like a. Meal. I was just picturing a big mess: milkshake, no cup, naked. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, um, here, hold out your hands. <laughs> like, um, so, so the Ramban actually says, no, you can't, you can't just mess with the narrative flow like that. So on a technical level, he says, if this Parsha follows what happened at Sinai, then mm-hmm. that's how it really happened. But on a deeper level, their argument, I think, is, is a fundamental argument. Because the question is, is the temple response to some human weakness, failure, need, 
that we can't really handle it, mm-hmm. can't handle the truth, right? That 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 that, that the, the, the that is a, a concession of sorts. Yes, that the nature of the divine relationship lies above the physical plane. Mm-hmm. But since we are human and we're trapped <clears throat> in the prison of the flesh, to borrow another tradition's phrase, you know, so so God lends us a hand, but only in response to our failure. Notice that's how Rashi sees it. Right. That wasn't part of the plan. Right. Whereas what the Ramban says is that couldn't be the further from the truth. This world is the place which God created for us to serve him. Right. So therefore, of course, the Mishkan is the natural parallel to the laws of Mishpatim. Just like Mishpatim are the architecture of human relationship in the interpersonal sense, the legal classical sense, right, which every nation of the world has some angle on the idea that we have to negotiate our relationships through law. Right, or else they don't last. Or they don't last, right? Or they, I would argue, we're never a nation. Right. I would actually argue that, that that is one of the definitive aspects of what it is to be a nation or even a people. Um, so just so as that is true. Social contracts, laws, yeah, sure, standards. Culture, yeah. civilization. Mm-hmm. But just as that is true, that there is a natural divine intention in the architecture of the physical world. And taking something that you can dig out of the ground or you, you kill an animal and you, you, you treat its skin or you crush a snail and you get its, you know, its dye. And that, those things are not um, sort of concessions to, to like our failed ability to move beyond the physical toward the spiritual. But they show the true nature of Am Yisrael, which right. is that we are meant to integrate the entirety of creation. Uh, just just uh, for for the the uh, uninitiated and also maybe Gentile listeners, non-Jewish listeners, we have we have a, a, a the Jewish because we study the Talmud, we have certain words that will always signify everything Rabbi Mike just said could be said in in two words. Is is it lechatchila or bedieved? Lechatchila means that's the way it should be. Uh, at starting point, meaning to say that that's like the best option. But the Evid is like well, it's acceptable, but it's a secondary option. It's it's not it's not you know it doesn't come out of the best place. You could say it's passable. It's but the Evid. So that's really the discussion here. Is it but the Evid? And I I have to tell you that my 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 uh, personal spiritual makeup lends uh, would would lean more, of course, on the Ramban side that that the, that the temple, the tabernacle, is the way God wanted this world. Before any kind of concession, um, and what we're going to learn <clears throat> about the the tabernacle, one of the reasons I actually think this, I'm going to say something really weird now. I was getting a haircut the other day at the guys that I've been getting a haircut with for 20 years. It's good to have long lasting relationships. Long lasting, short hair, long lasting, and and these guys, yeah, it's just it's just great. You know, you have your barber, you know him for 20 years. Um, yes, do less work every year. <laughs> Let's not talk about that. Um, so, so no, you know, but then there's the ear hair and all the other all right, things yeah. that, that we all right. Growing Speaking about not talking about it. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so next, it, it, I don't have cable at home or TV, re- regular TV. Any case, so he had one of the reasons why I always kind of feel like I wish I had cable is because of these like National Geographic type channels. Sure. And they had like National Geographic Wild. And there's a fly called something like the expandable eye fly or something like that. <laughs> and it like pushes out oxygen air through its eyes. And then the eyes like widen out and they come out. Like, look like, like panoramic vision. Yeah. It's, it's like a wacky, crazy thing. And, and all the time when you see these things and they have these shows about wacky animals, the show goes on and on and on and shows you crazy, crazy animals doing crazy things. And you're like, I, for me, it's always like I'm always looking to God. And I'm just like. You know, <laughs> what was up with that? What were you thinking? And 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 cool. Yeah. And, 
and you're you're cool like that, God. And and the same thing here for the tabernacle. Like the everything that we're going to learn from here on end is so, you know. Please don't misunderstand what I'm trying to say here. It's so weird. Just the the shape of the bread yep. at, on the table is a U-shaped bread. You would never at home want to make a U-shaped bread. It's weird. Okay, Take a lot of work. Or 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 the many. Uh, adornments of the menorah that we'll talk about, the cups and the flowers and the buttons and the apples and the things that are, you know, that they're hard to understand. And, and um, actually it comes to the conclusion to me in my mind, I feel like God wanted to show us, just like I made weird animals, I made you, you're different and, and you're going to, uh, you're going to make this thing for me in this world that's like my imagination, God's imagination. And, but, but I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to let you create it. So this is the holiness of beauty. It's the holiness of, not just of beauty, but of the aesthetic sense. You know, the word aesthetic is very funny. What does it mean? And, well, aesthetic means one's appreciation of either beauty or at least um, the... Uh, form. Form, right? But why do I say it's funny? Is the word aesthetics is relatively new mm-hmm. in human language. It was actually coined by the students of Kant because the classic Greek word, which meant the appreciation of beauty, had a moral connotation to it that the because greek classical thought associates beauty and truth and beauty and goodness mm-hmm. and, and therefore it's it's the origin of beauty is in wholeness so the enlightened philosophers didn't like that because the whole moral relativism that had already crept into Kant's thinking was making progress so they had to come up with a word that was like no no that looks good but don't tell me that it means anything because it looks good it just looks good what do you think judaism thinks about this, this is the word tiferet right the, the, there's one word in 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 hebrew which means both beauty and truth now it's it's a it's a very particular face of truth, which I don't know if we want to get into like it right Rivka, now. Like Re- Rivka, Rebecca, she was she was beautiful. Tvat uh, Mar'e, she was uh, uh, she, she had, or, or Esther had a certain chen to her. There's certain things that have Esther is a great example because mm-hmm. the midrashim point out that Esther was beautiful to whoever saw her. Everyone who saw her saw her as part of their nation or saw her and the age which they found attractive. And so this really is the aspect. But, 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 but on the other hand, the Medrash will say that she's sickly looking. And, and then, green and, and green 70 and years old. But, <laughs> but the key is, is that her appearance was responsive to the experience of the viewer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that aspect of, of truth, which is in Tiferet, as opposed to Emet. You know? mm-hmm. Emet is the wholeness of truth, but it's the wholeness of truth, which is basically inaccessible to the human mind. Right? Because that's why the, words, the word Emet is Aleph Mem Taf, the first middle and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Because it's a truth which has to, will be unfolded completely at the end of time. So your eye will never be able to grasp that. But this temple is weird looking maybe on a very subjective level, but on an objective level, this is, God's, this is what God thinks is beautiful? No, this is what God knows in the human experience will evoke that meeting place between beauty and holiness. I don't know that, 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 you know, God, I don't think there's a difference between Tiferet and Emmet in God's mind. There's no difference between the, the, the relative experience of truth and its absolute nature. But I'll give you an example of what I mean. I, so I wish you would. There, there, there is an idea that beauty has to be experienced, and there's an opposing idea that beauty is a reality unto itself. So we found in, in archaeology, there's a, a set of, I was just reading about this recently, oddly enough, that in, in the Renaissance, when lock-making became sort of like a thing, I guess. People had expensive stuff, so they figured out they wanted to make good locks. There was a whole culture of, of um, locksmiths who made beautiful locks. But I'm not talking about the outside. I'm talking about the mechanism. Meaning something which would only ever be seen once by the craftsman and then sealed forever. Mm-hmm. And yet it was important to them 
that the beauty exists because it was considered to be an absolute. It wasn't about my experience, like the frescoes on the wall or or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that such a thing existed. It became That's part of the godly, experience. Though, isn't, isn't That's it? the godly yeah. aspect of truth. It's the beauty inside the lock, right? But <laughs> for us as human beings... The truth is, I might find something beautiful, and you come over to my house and say, oh, you see this painting? I just spent a crazy amount of money. Don't you like it? And you're thinking, all right, don't want to make him feel bad. You know, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really great. And, you know, do you know the argument between Hillel and Shammah? You mentioned Hill before about, about dancing before the bride, right? Good. So you, you, the, there's a big commandment. I bless us all that we should get to do it as often as possible to bring joy to a groom and bride when they get married. Right. right, and um, the Gemara, ooh, I believe in Gittin. If I'm not, I don't, don't quote me on that. Says that Hillel and Shammai had an argument. What should you sing in front of the bride when you when you dance to make her happy? And so Hillel says, "Kalach naev chasuda." Right, she's she's beautiful and uh, and calmly, or you know, and so Shammai, being who he was, says, "Well, but what if it's not true?" <laughs> like, what if what if she's not so beautiful? So Hillel says, "What are you talking about? The, she's beautiful to her husband." That's right. You know? And and that's true. This idea that truth that's is a little bit objective versus subjective. Yeah, but sub- subjective has a bad name in our world because because we're still getting over the modern era, right? right? But but the reality is subjective doesn't mean it's not true, right? It just means there's an intimacy of relationship between the person who is subjectively experiencing and what is being experienced. That's exactly what the Mishkan is. Sinai was objectively true, but you can't stay there. Mm-hmm. And so the people ran after the golden calf saying, we've got to hold on to something. And God says, no, no, no. And now I'm taking Rashi's side for a minute. He says, no, no, listen, I'll give you something, but it's got to be something you make. Because then it will be yours and you'll always love it. Right? But, but Sinai, that I made. And so that's why you can't hold on to it. Mm-hmm. But the beauty is, of course, the whole Mishkan is meant to hold what? Where is the holiness in the Mishkan? God's presence. Yeah, but is is. God's presence in the Mishkan? What's the famous line from the Parsha of where God's presence is? Right. The famous line is, Vasuli Mikdash v'shachanti betochan. They shall make me a, a sanctuary and I will dwell within them, within them, within the people. Right. Because once they love it, once they give and they labor to create it, it doesn't become some objective, look, there's God. No, it is a vehicle to bring God to within them. And that's the real power of the subjective side of truth. It doesn't mean it's not true. It means it's a vehicle that truth can dwell within me as opposed to being something that is outside of me. It reminds me also about the very famous story about uh, Rabbi Joshua, Rabbi Yoshua, who was not very particularly externally attractive. And I think it was the, the Caesar's daughter. That yes. She sees him and she's like, she's like, how could such an ugly vessel hold so much you know, truth and beauty? And he says to her, you're right. <laughs> he says, you're right. And, and you know, all the wines that your father has in the cellar, they're in uh, ugly uh, ceramic uh, vessels. Why don't you switch them out for beautiful silver ones? And she's like, yeah, you're right. You're right. She switches them out and they all go bad. Right. And, and, uh, and basically, um, you know, he proves to her that, that beauty is not always what it's cut out to be. And then finally, he says to her, I think somebody says to him, how, how does it go that he says, if, oh, well, she says, well, how come this other rabbi, I think Rabbi Gamaliel, is such, so good-looking and also a Torah scholar? And he says to her, imagine how, how big of a Torah scholar he would have been if he would if he be were ugly. ugly <laughs> which, is, which is the proof that he was Jewish. <laughs> that's where Jackie Mason makes it into the oh, Gemara. Yeah, yeah, out, so, that's such a great line. Great stuff. All right. So uh, the tabernacle is the resting place for God's presence. And the first thing that we're given to be told 
is the creation of the Ark, okay? And the Ark is basically, uh, uh, according to Rashi anyway, it's basically made of three layers or really three boxes themselves. Three boxes, outside gold, inside acacia wood or wood of, of uh, a strong and light character, and then another gold box within it. There's a... Um, uh, a crown around the top of it. No, there's a, the, the, wait, there's a, there's a, then, there's first these three boxes. Then there is the covering, and the covering itself has both this uh, layer of thorns. Wait, the, uh, I I get confused if the cover is on the table or the cover was. Um, no, the cover that you're thinking of, the misgeret, the, the, that's, that's the, on the table. The crown, the zer, the zer. And the zer is both on the table and on the aron. But the zer on the ark is actually the extension of the outer golden box. Right. Okay. So the outer gold. That's right. So there it is around, and then you then on top of that is this one piece of gold fashioned into uh, this both this this kind of lid, and it's got these two cherubs. Cherubs are facing one another. What are these cherubs? These cherubs are angelic like creatures. They have wings, and these wings are fluttering, shall we say, in form. They look like they're fluttering over or, or, or kind of covering, reaching over the, um, th- the covering of the ark, basically covering the ark. Very important word. They are sochachin. They are somehow... Um, sheltering. F- sheltering, covering, f- fluttering over. I always talk about this uh, during Sukkot, that this is one of the other places in the whole Torah where you have the word schach, the root schach, that you have in the sukkah. And if and I tell people inside the sukkah, if let's kind of use it as a parallel, if the if the angels are covering with their with their wings or fluttering over the ark, and they're doing the sochin, this chach above us makes us what? We too are the Torah. We are the embodiment of the Torah. Just like those wings are covering us, so too this chach above us is covering us. And and one of the great questions is. Uh, these these cherubs have childlike faces, a boy and a girl, according to some opinions, a little baby boy and a girl. And uh, and we have a general prohibition from creating uh, earthly-like uh, images, graven images, and here is the uh, the opposite of that. And the Talmud goes on to say that, that just like um, every prohibition that God made in this world, there is something in this world that, al- that allows for it, meaning to say, famously, uh, pork. We're not allowed to eat pork, yet there is some fish out there. And uh, this, this uh, famous dentist here in, in Efrat, this is Israeli, uh, Ari Greenspan, uh, he went and found this fish, and basically this fish famously tastes just like pork. Okay, and it's a kosher fish. And so God, whatever he disallowed, there's a, there's a way to get that as well. Uh, and here... These these kind of faces are disallowed in general, but in the temple they are allowed. And that idea says to me not just that um, this is a concession to human weakness. Like, oh gosh, I don't want to box these people in. They should also get to eat some pork-tasting fish. But it also says that actually all the desires of the human heart, when properly oriented, can be used to serve God. It's just that the the framework, the architecture within which you fit them has to be very precise. And so here, again, this, this desire to connect to the physical, to have an intimacy of relationship, you cannot have an intimacy of relationship to the abstract, right? We can't have a relationship at all to the infinite. You cannot do it because you're going to reduce it in your mind eventually anyway, or you're going to end up having no relationship at all. So therefore, God says, listen, I know what you want is an intimacy of relationship 
with me. And so there's going to be one place. But, but but how do you but how do you distinguish that from an intermediary, from other religions who who bring in you know also a, a manifestation of of God and. And, and, and they, they may argue, I haven't actually heard them argue this, but, I'm, but I, I would have argued in their place in any case. What's the difference between our cross and, 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 uh, uh, you know, and our God on it uh, as opposed to your you know, ark and, and temple and, and your synagogues and inside? You know, you're also manifestizing, if I could use that word. Right. Listen, I could give two answers. Uh, one of them, I would say, is a bit of sophistry. The other one is honest. I'll give the honest one first. The honest one is, as Rashi points out in the name of the Midrash, because this is what God told us to do. Right. Good I, one. I, I like I, that. I mean, I, bang. I, and that's what Rashi <laughs> says. I mean, he goes on. We don't drag through the psukim exactly where, but he points out that that um, that they're supposed to be of gold and not silver. They're supposed to be two and not four. And what he brings is the Midrash says, in that if you do make them of silver instead of gold, or you do make four instead of two, then it's idolatry. Right. Why? Because the core of what we're after is the relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that it's really a relationship with myself. And that and that I'm and the idolatrous danger is when the manifestation becomes a means of serving myself as opposed to serving God. That's what an intermediary is. I have some sense of my own needs, my own perception of what God ought to be. I reduce God to human conception and then I serve my conception. Well on some level I'm serving myself. Sure. At the same time, there is truth to these religions who come up with an intermediary or, or are more imagetically oriented that, that, that humanity, we're embodied, right? You don't love the idea of your wife. You love your wife, right? right? And it makes a big difference that you guys get to see each other at the end of the day or in the middle of the two, you know? And, and so we don't have a platonic ideal of love we have a very fleshly embodied ideal of love that's why by the way that the rabbis say that that three times a year when all of Amisra comes up to the temple mount let it be soon let it be now that and that they would open the doors of the ulam of the of the the temple building and of the hechal and they would all the way up into the holy of holies because even though only the high priest they would peer right into the you, holy of holies because yeah, so, even only only the high priest gets to go there once a, a year they wanted all of Amisra to see and you know what they saw there they, the Midrash says that they saw these two kruvim, these two cherubs, as you said, one is male, one is female, in a sexual embrace. Right. And they would say to Am Yisrael... At least in a hug, minimally, right? Like, like really... Uh, no, the Gemara seems to be yeah. fairly they, clear that it's an act they of were, intimacy. They were, right, they were, They're right, intertwined. They were intertwined, that's right. Right? And, and they would say, ooh, right? See how beloved you are right. to God. I have to add on that, the, 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 the uh, Talmud there... Uh, takes another step and it says wait a minute now the jewish people were all given when the temple stood were all given the right to peer right into the bedroom right and see this this manifestation of of intimacy between god and israel however in the desert when the jewish people would take apart the tabernacle which is the the kind of roving temple the the, porta temple porta (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, that's a good for the temple. That's funny, um, and it's really the I, I would I would argue it's the more diaspora based temple the, when we're roving around, and when the Levites would take it apart, they were not allowed to look when they would place different parts of the temple into these like coverings, coverings, cloth coverings, yeah. cloth co- coverings. So you weren't allowed to see that it being taken apart and put into these cl- coverings it was somehow shameful. And the Talmud asks, is like, how does that make sense? You're not allowed to look here. You're not allowed to look at th- this act. And here, you're allowed to look at the more, most intimate act. How's that? 
And their answer is really about the difference between diaspora and existence and, and living in the land of Israel. And they say, their answer is oblique a little bit. They say a, a, a bride that is betrothed but not yet married still keeps her distance from her husband, while a bride who, and, and, and me to say she keeps herself um, covered up and dressed up and kind of, you know, uh, modest. modest from her husband, while a bride who's already in her husband's house, in her home, is already fully married, she doesn't keep those, those, those distances. And they're talking about the difference between living in the diaspora and living in the land of Israel. When you're in the land of Israel, when there's the full, you know, the, the full uh, uh, revelation and there's the temple, then... There's intimacy, and you could look at it straight in the face. Uh, but when you're in the diaspora, it's not the same kind of relationship, and therefore, kind of, you have to keep your distance. Now, there could have been other answers, but that's what the Talmud uh, is, uh, wants to, wants to point out. And and to me, that's really the difference between diaspora existence and and land of Israel existence. And it's not that diaspora existence is illegitimate; it is part of the is Jewish Israeli experience. But there's just a different level. It's just a different level. You just can't compare those two things. And here in Israel, you're looking right at the intimacy of it. You're really part of something. It's much more robust. It's because if you take intimacy out of its proper context, it becomes pornographic. And doesn't lead to a real vulnerability and a joining, but leads to an objectification. Right? Picture those Levim. Like, hey! Look at this ark. They're pulling it out of all of its 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 sacred context, and like you know, oh hey hey Larry, pass that uh, you know pass that table over here. You know, it, it, it's a, it's a grotesque relationship, um, objectification of something which is meant to promote intimacy. Mm, very interesting. Um, just let's final let's finish off the Aron the the ark issue. Uh, two more things about the ark is that it says that the ark is not just by itself; it is a house for something. It is. And I, I would like to argue it's a little bit of a womb. It, it, it embodies something within it, and that is that within this ark, you're supposed to put, you shall place in the ark the testimonial tablets that I shall give to you. Meaning to say the, the Ten Commandments go into this thing. And later on we're going to learn that the broken commandments, the nice new whole ones, uh, and also the jar... The jar of the man, and also later on the flowering stick of uh, staff of, of Aaron. They're all gonna hang out there uh, in in this in this um, portable pocket of the of the most important and sacred things. And one more uh, uh, related issue is that once this thing holds uh, these sacred objects, it also becomes the place through which God reveals Himself, and He says. Uh, we're talking about Book of Exodus, Shmot, Truma, uh, chapter 25, verse uh, 22. It says, uh, It is there that I will set my meetings with you, and I shall speak to you from atop the cover, from between the two cherubs, kuvim, that are in the Ark of the Testimonial Tablets, everything that I shall command to you, command you to the children of Israel. The voice of God will emanate from an exact point from between those wings, and between those two cherubs, that's where the voice of God will emanate uh, to, uh, to Moshe Rabbeinu from. Uh, that is localizing God very much uh, around these objects and around these things and between the voice of these two faces. It's, uh, it's a lot to take in there. It is. And, but it's a critical, I think, to add a piece of context that these kruvim are actually not entirely new to us. You know, though they seem to appear almost out of nowhere... 
right? God doesn't explain what they are. He just says, make two kruvim. So the assumption is that Moshe is listening and he, and he knows. Now, you could say that he knows from other contexts and we're just not privy to everything that Moshe knew, which is certainly true. But you can also say, well, that means that somewhere in our story we've already met them. And indeed we have. We've met them one other place in the Chumash. You remember where it was? No. It was at the exit or entrance, depending on how you want to look at it, to Gan Eden, right, where God placed two kruvim to guard the way to the tree of life. There was a sword, a cherv mehatefet, and kruvim. Okay. Right? Because ultimately, the whole structure you've spoken out, the idea that the the kruvim are are sheltering over this Torah within, the idea that God's voice emanates out, that this is a meeting place, it's got no oddity lechem, right? I'm going to meet with you there, is telling us that way back in Eden, when we thought we blew it, when we thought we got kicked out, and now we're living, like you said, in this bidyevit, in this sort of ad hoc world, which is not how it was meant to be. God mm-hmm. says, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I didn't put those kruvim there to prevent you from going back. That would, that's one meaning of what it means to guard the way to the tree of life. I don't want them to go back there. They'll blow it. But what's the other reason you would put them to guard the path? So it wouldn't get lost. Right? Mm-hmm. And here it has reappeared. That, the, that, of course, and what do we call the Torah? Torah Chaim. The tree, Chaim. Of, the tree of life. Right. Right, that's not, we say it's, we don't just call it that. It's, it's a verse. It's, it's a verse. Right. It is a tree of life for those who hold on to right. it. And that's not accidental. It, it attaches us back to this idea that... That makes me sad that people don't know that. They just don't know. That. I, 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 I get sad when I see that people don't know that, that, that holding on to the Torah is the secret of life. Yeah. It bothers me sometimes. I'm just like, don't you know, brother and sister? What's even deeper is that it tells you that even the texts of the Torah... It may be what you're holding on to, but what is it meant to enter you into, into this direct conversation? Because it's the voice of God that comes out from between them, right? And, and it's fascinating here that it says, Now, it could be that God's talking to Moshe, and he's saying, I'll, I'll meet you there, Moshe, and nobody else. Right. But remember, you can also read it as, it's God speaking to you. Mm-hmm. You're, I'm waiting for you there, says God. Certainly, I think that, that, that as a meditative tool, if you want to hear God's voice, then trying to imagine the, the cherubs and really that center point between them is it could really fulfill this place of I will, I will sh- appear there for you. I will speak with you from, uh, uh, from above the kaporet, that's the covering, the lid of the, um, the, te- the, uh, the ark between the two cherubs, which is upon the um, ark of the covenant. And uh, if you can put that in your head, it's a very powerful thing of, of really, uh, you know, if, if you're into that, I find that, that, that the meditative, if you take five minutes and try to meditate on that, really, and I mean clear your mind for five whole minutes, five whole minutes, okay? Clear your mind for that clear long, it's not mind, so simple. Right, and, and really concentrate and imagine uh, God talking to you from between the cherubs. That's an incredible, incredible power. All right. Uh, so we covered, uh, of oh. course, we really we, <laughs> we really scratched the surface of the issues uh, of the Aron, um, of the Ark. Um, but there's, there's a lot there. Now you're, now you're starting to see that, that even in these blueprint Torah portions, there's a lot of narrative, there's a lot of humanities to, to understand, absolutely, the, the, the art of it all, absolutely. Uh, so let's take a, a break here now and talk a little bit about, let's do some housework. Some other issues for a second. First thing, you are listening to the Ishai Fleischer Show on the Land of Israel Network, thelandofisrael.com. Many other great shows, including Rabbi Mike's other show, which is called The Jewish Story. 
Uh, Rabbi Mike, you could be found on Facebook at Rav Mike. That's right, Rav Mike. And RavMike.com coming up soon. And we're very excited. RavMike.com and also YishaiFleischer.com is a brand new and awesome website. Very happy about it. Um, also, we're here at Pardes, and you can find out more Pardes' teachings, which is at Pardes.org.il. So that's very cool. It's a great learning environment here for the kind of people that it reaches out to. Be, beware. It's, it's not necessarily for everybody, but it's got incredible a lot of Torah uh, here for you and, 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 and is doing a great job of spreading out light. Um, let's just do, uh, I, I want to do some, some pluggings, some plugs. Um, first thing I want to plug, uh, if you are in Jerusalem, these, the next two plugs are for health in, in Israel and Jerusalem. And, um, the plug here is really about, um, as we said, Vasuli Mishkan, you got to sometimes also make your body into a, a vessel, a holy Absolutely. vessel. Absolutely. And as, uh, as my friends say, uh, as my, as my friend, and trainer, the other Mike that I have in my life, uh, Mike Berezin says, it says um, a healthy body leads to a healthy mind and, and basically a healthy soul. And if you want to get back in shape, you need a little bit of help. Just like you need a rabbi in, in, in Torah, you also need sometimes a rabbi in training. It really helps out a lot. So check out JerusalemFitness.com, JerusalemFitness.com. It's really that, that simple, JerusalemFitness.com. And, and get back to, to health and shape. Mike does a great job of of uh, of keeping us uh, healthy and strong, and just a, an hour, an hour and a half, or whatever, an hour a week will make a difference in your life. And just know that you are lazy. You are really so damn lazy. Did you say that in a Russian accent? Yeah, <laughs> you're very lazy. Okay, <laughs> we have to work. Avoda, kadima, kadima, robota. That's what everybody says here in Israel. Robota, which means work, and uh, the work will set you free. I tell you. Uh, the other thing I want to say is also if you if you need uh, to get back to center in your body uh, to reconnect the parts that, that that are a little bit disconnected, misaligned, and not not with you the way it should be, and in the tabernacle if things are misaligned, they're just not they're not kosher. So check out uh, Dr. Brown, Steve Brown. He takes takes care of us uh, at Israel Rolfing on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Israel Rolfing. Uh, you'll get incredible sessions of of um how should i say alignment alignment that's right alignment in all the senses of the world a word he even taught me how to walk upstairs more properly and i'm just a different person for those little things um what else i want to also do a, a, a very important announcement and that is that today's show is sponsored in the memory of two people who are not with us in this world anymore grandpa george reese and grandma mildred reese and uh, both of uh, our, our good friends, Annie and Zev, uh, dedicate uh, today's show and have sponsored today's show. They went to YishaiFleischer.com and they, they gave what they gave in the honor and the memory of these two fan, fa fantastic people who are not with us anymore. And I, I, I just I feel such an honor and pride that we'll be able to dedicate our show to somebody who's not with us in this world anymore and who, who are in the next world and, and who love Judaism who, and who love their children and grandchildren uh, and I don't know. I just I really like dedicating to show to somebody. I, I like remembering people. I like giving a moment to people who are not with us anymore in this world. And in this case, Grandpa George Reese and Grandma Mildred Reese. Yeah, and especially through the agency of people who are with us in this world and raising our kids together and doing so many amazing things in and of themselves. That's right. The, there are good friends, uh, uh, Annie and Zev, and their fantastic family are part of our life in so many ways, and they're also listeners to the show. And uh, in this case, also sponsors. Thank you very much. 
And may the memory of Grandpa George and Grandma Mildred uh, uh, be, be remembered well. And may their neshamas have an aliyah. And thank you so much. Amen. And may the Torah that we learned today be in their honor. Amen. <clears throat> also, I wanted to take a, a, another a moment to talk about uh, another friend of the show, whose name is Rabbi Yaakov Goldsmith. Yaakov G., he is great. And he also uh, decided that he wants to support uh, our efforts here in Yerushalayim. Uh, and Chevron and and to be part of the show, and I want to thank you so much for for dedicating and being part of the, the learning Torah that we're doing here. And may your uh, d- donation come back to you ten times, and may the schud of your supporting Torah. And I know that Rabbi Yaakov himself is involved in the promotion of uh, a most important Torah project, and uh, I can't wait to promote it even more. Rabbi Yaakov, thank you so much for, for being part of it. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. And, and thank you so much for being part of the story of the Torah of Israel, even from the diaspora. Um, what else did I want to announce? What else did I want to announce? I have a lot of emails here also. I'm not going to be able to get through all of them because I want to get back. Um, but maybe I have, I have two emails here that are uh, related to one another. I have a lot of emails about my article about the f- uh, five alternatives to, to this two-state solution and the New York Times thing and all that. Uh, we'll try to get to that, I think, next week. T- uh, today, um, I have two, uh, two emails that deal actually with Christianity a little bit. Uh, and, and we do have, of course, uh, uh, listeners from other faiths and, and friends throughout the world. And, and they write to me sometimes because there's always this line. There's always this, this tricky thing. There's always this issue of, of reaching out to the Gentiles and teaching them. And then, and then there's always a fear that, it, you know, I always get, you know, me and, and, and parts of people at this network are always being accused of, of, of fomenting some kind of, you know, either messianic or coming close to Christianity. When, when really, like, the effort is, is quite the opposite. is to share the Torah with people who love the Bible and want to understand it from the Jewish perspective. Uh, and and it's a it's a fine line, you know, because it's much easier to just say no to all of you, and and I yes. I, I don't want I don't want to have anything to do with you. It, it takes much uh, uh, smaller shoulders to to do that. The wider shoulders know how to deal with people throughout the world. Here's a letter from Ben, who writes: I hope you are well, Yisha. I want to say first that my wife and I and now baby Ezra love your show on the Land of Israel Network, and I try to listen weekly. It is inspiring and keeps Israel fresh on our minds. Exactly. Um, I visited for the first time last year, and now it seems every fiber of my being is pulled back to the land. Caps, the land. Uh, we have plans, God willing, to make another visit this year. May God give your plans his, uh, his uh, thumbs up. Amen. I'm writing to clarify a question that has been presented to me recently. I shared your podcast with family members, and they felt, though it matters not to me, that the Land of Israel Network's members may have ties to the Jewish messianic belief system. The question I was asked was, are they messianic? As I said earlier, it didn't matter to me one way or the other, for your content is excellent. Plus, I had not put much thought in it, again, as it didn't matter. Uh, I would say to you, Ben, oh, it matters. It matters very much. But still, uh, uh, here's this question. I have friends that are Orthodox Jews and other friends that are Messianic and others that are staunch Christian. Though I believe Judaism is the base uh, of the truth capped, uh, of these belief systems, I, I uh, though I believe Judaism is the base of truth of these systems. I have much respect for the Jewish people and believe that the land is theirs, and I'm ready to fully support and defend every Jew and Israeli for the land, for it is Hashem's and his people. However, the conversation escalated to a bit, a bit to the point where I felt best to, best to ask you directly as to clarify the issue for this family member. Okay, there you go. Rabbi Mike? Well, I mean, by Messianic, I assume he means the sort of 
combination of, of Jewish and Christian belief because we're all definitely messianic in the Jewish sense. Well, we're also re- reform in that we want to... Uh, we're progressives. Know, we're progressives, and, and I'm a reconstructionist. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking to reconstruct the well, temple. I, you know, I have issues with playing with language, but, <laughs> I, but I just want to be clear that, that my assumption is that what he's asking is whether we see somehow a way to reconcile um, the Christian belief in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah with Jewish beliefs. And that I can say absolutely not. Um, that being said, I see at this point in my personal belief no problem with Christians' devotion to that. And I think that, that, that Christianity brought a tremendous light to its followers who were vast majority not Jews, right? Um, there's some deep clarifications that need to happen there in terms of the nature of God and the challenges of idolatry like we began off with in this show. But the truth is, I'm not so quick to point out to other religions that they need to clarify their, their beliefs and their actions since I can see in Amisrael that we've we got plenty of work to do. But I would say with, with no hesitation whatsoever that um, I'm a Jew who is very firm on our history beginning at Sinai and not deviating from the track that was given us there. That being said... I think it's very important to build strong relationships with other peoples in the world who are committed to serving God. Right, but, but there should be no confusion. Those relationships and those true, real friendships that are not based on getting the other person to believe what I want them Certainly to believe, uh, at the same time, the lines are clear and different. Yes. Uh, and, and we have a different... But, Met, while we share many things, we have a different belief system. We do not believe in, in, in the New Testament, quote-unquote, or in Jesus. I didn't even call it that. Right. <laughs> I, I put it in quotes. You know, I, Usually we call it the Christian texts, uh, and, that's, and that's fair enough. And, 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 and it is, it, it, this is very important to me. While it, my friends who are Christians, or whatever they call themselves, because today there is a whole spectrum of folks out there. Sure. There's many people who, who even believe in the Christian text, but... but but, do, but don't call themselves Christians. All kinds of folks out there, whatever it is, this show and this network is made up of Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews, classic Orthodox Jews. The only thing that's not classic is that we believe that since we're coming into a time where the Jewish people are coming to the land of Israel, the era of the Third Temple, the era of God's revelation of, of His true manifest will, there will be Gentiles. There are Gentiles. And the prophets are replete with this. That are going to yearn, want, and, and are interested in connecting to the true story that, that we have to share our true narrative. And that's what we're doing. And we're not afraid of sharing that narrative with other good people, even if we don't exactly agree on all things. And that's exactly why my line about this issue always is, let's agree to agree. We have a lot that we agree on. And that's what, that's what we focus on with, with our friends. That's a, very good, that's a very good question. Yes, thank you for the question. And I appreciate that. And he, similarly, here's, a, um, here's another question that, is, that, is, uh, that comes from a different place. Shalom, Yishai. I enjoy listening to your shows. I was particularly grabbed by your comments about millennials becoming prey to Israel haters. You were talking about young Jews, but I have the same concern about young Christians. I'm a Christian. But my eyes were opened when I first visited Israel in 1998 at Passover. I realized that there was so much that is Jewish in the roots of Christianity that nobody has told me about in 30 years. I came home and devoured everything I could, and I'm, and I'm still catching up. One year at the uh, ICEJ, International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem, Feast of Tabernacles uh, on Sukkot, they told us, so you've had a good time. Go home and tell people the truth about Israel. That grew into my website, which is wildolive.co.uk, through which I reach out to Christians to encourage them to find their roots. 
and and he and he and he says um, he says here that domain name refers to Shaul, Saul's letter uh, to the Romans in the Christian text, New Testament, quote unquote, New Testament, chapter eleven, verse seventeen. Uh, I fu- uh, and then he goes on and talks about those things that I don't know enough about. Uh, but he says, um, I've been to Israel times, but not to Hebron yet. So he is he is reaching out through through his kind of. People are connecting in one way or another. They're finding their own roots through through this stuff. And he and 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 he's listing. And what what uh, Michael here is listing is a chapter in Christian texts. And and I would say you know go to Zechariah. I'm always saying to Christians like reconnect with the quote unquote Old Testament. Like that's something that we can agree to agree on. And there's so much there about the Gentiles coming, especially. What do you think this whole uh, Feast of Tabernacles is about? That's Zechariah straight out. That the, the Gentiles will come. Uh, to to Sukkot, and here's another person that's finding his way. What's so funny out there is that there's so many people, Rabbi Mike, who are finding their like way to to, to kind of crawl and and kind of kind of get through the landmines and 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 come to kind of a clear understanding of God. But they want a relationship with Israel and with this revelation as well. That's because ultimately, I see our historical mission, our spiritual mission, our actual embodied mission in the world today as to connect the world to God. And, and part of that process has to be speaking to people where they are. Like, like you said, it can't be a conversation where really what I want is for you to be like me. right? Not just because it doesn't really work and that's just manipulative and that's more about me than God. But actually because we can see that diversity is the hallmark of creation. I mean, you were speaking about the, I don't know, expanding eye fly before. You know, so like that, 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 uh, there's, you it's know, still in my head. That I'm sure it is. It's a drop in the bucket compared to human spiritual capacity. Right, right. You know, and the beauty and what I find so wonderful about people like Michael is, is that he's taking his personal journey, his personal experience, and he wants to connect to the root because the root is God. And I just want to strengthen his hand in it that he should be blessed to have much success with himself and many other people. All right, Rabbi Mike, we got a lot of other emails here. Uh, I got a lot of emails about killing terrorists while they're down, people pro, people against. We'll get to that, I guess, next week because we're going long here and we got to get to the next uh, parts of the tabernacle. So we're going to get to the other emails, folks. I have them all printed out and we're going to get to it. Uh, I have not forgotten you. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for that. And thank you very much. If you want to write me an email, please do so at yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. Yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. Don't forget the the. Uh, somebody wrote to me. They forgot the the, and they couldn't understand why I didn't reply. So yeshai at thelandofisrael.com. If you have any right, uh, uh, questions for Rabbi Mike, I'm happy to forward it. You can reach him uh, through his Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash Rav Mike. I think also, gosh, I have to check. I think also Rabbi Mike at thelandofisrael.com. Right. Yeah, that's my, right. My story goes out, my Jewish story goes out from there as well. Sure, sure, sure. Rabbi Mike at thelandofisrael.com. Absolutely. Write an email. Okay. So we, we dealt with the um, ark and separately the cover, the lid, I like to call it. It's a little bit better than cover and the cherub's top of it, the voice of God coming through it. That, according to kind of classical Judaism, refers to godliness that's god's presence in this world as opposed to the next thing which is the table which refers more to kingdom to uh, on this world to wealth to power and 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 that's kind of the more human let's say the power that god gave down to 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 humanity and to and to the people down in this lower domain that's the table okay and the table has in it we're going to learn later on about really what it has on it today just a blueprint of uh, of what is the table. Also, lots of gold. It's got uh, two stacks. 
uh, uh, and six and six, right? As opposed to the five and five of the Ten Commandments, we got six and six of these breads. And these breads don't look like you think they will look like. They look like a kind of... Uh, staple. <laughs> a fat staple? You remember the movie Tron? Yeah. Yeah, they had there was a shape there in the movie Tron that was like that, like those things that were flying. It's like a, a staple, yeah. It's uh, how should I describe it? It's like a shoebox missing two sides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. It's hard to describe <laughs> and and really and really uh, this is more uh and, and folks, uh, and here's another plug for the good folks at Art Scroll. Okay? Good folks at Art Scroll make tremendous efforts to teach us Torah and translate into English and also make very accessible uh, graphic pictures that help you understand. There are many books today that, that want to give you a sense of the, uh, what the tabernacle looked like, what the temple looked like. Uh, and even I think Art School has a great DVD uh, that, that teaches you how it's made. It, you know, it's actually quite important what you just said because people often ask, listen, I understand Yishai or Mike, what they what what you said at the beginning that that this is the the idea of the aesthetic and it was trying to create the experience for the people. But fine, why write it down? Mm-hmm. Why do we now, when there's no supposition, when the temple's rebuilt, let it be soon, let it be now? It's not going to be with these curtains and the and and the and the blanks and all that detail that we're reading in this week's parsha. It's going to be like what Solomon built. So why write it down? And what you just said is, is the critical explanation. Is that our school is doing this all in order that you can visualize it. And what we fail to appreciate is in a, in a world of media saturation, where our imagination, our creative capacity have been imprinted with countless images from birth, mm-hmm. we fail to appreciate that this is meant to be the basis on which our imagination can be built. That the reading of this in a culture which was barely literate for most of the world and then certainly had very limited visual medium, was meant to serve as a foundation on which you could understand the holiness of the capacity you have to imagine. And so Art Scroll is really trying to bring that back by at least giving some holiness of visual imagery to compete with the sort of garbage that's out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that uh, there's a, there's a, a, great, a great man in, in Beitel. His name is Chaim Silberstein. He, he tours people around in an organization called Keep Jerusalem. He's fighting for the unity of Jerusalem. His son had a bar mitzvah. And here in Israel, I don't know what they I don't, I don't think it was like that when I was a kid. In bar mitzvahs in Israel, or bat mitzvahs also, the kids like do something. They tour you somewhere. They mm-hmm. show you something. I'll never forget this. Uh, he showed a DVD, I think it was an article DVD, of how the tabernacle was created and the pieces of it. And he explained throughout. I never forgot that. It was so like moving to me about how this young kid was just really giving us an explanation about, about the tabernacle. In any case, the temple, we're not re- learning about the bread itself or how it was made or the other things. We'll learn that in later chapters. We're not even learning about who's making it and how it was made. What we're learning is... Just this is the, the raw idea. There's going to be a table. That's how it looks. This is how it looks, the table. This is what it's, it's got to look. And it's get the, the first kind of uh, download information is coming down. And the table is supposed to be a kind of contra, to, to an extent, to the, uh, uh, as I said before, the ark. The ark is, is godly knowledge. The table is more earthly kingdom and, and wealth. And the blessings of wealth to this world come through the, this golden table. If you have you know, problems in Parnassa and, and welfare... Try to try to think about that table. Ask God to, to give you blessings through that table, and and because the the hour is drawing late, I, I want to go to the next one already, which is which is so so central and important, and that's the menorah. The menorah, um, 
more complicated than, than you would have thought. Uh, if, uh, also, like like the cover, like the lid, and the cherubs made out of one solid piece of gold, one solid piece of gold carved out, not attached. You cannot make part of the menorah and then attach the rest. It's got to be all hewn out of one solid block of gold. That's a lot of gold. All right? Uh, and this menorah, uh, we're not going to learn about how it's lit or who's lighting it or who's making it, but what it looks like is the menorah that, that you kind of know and love um, the the symbol of the state of Israel. There's a lot of disagreement about uh, how the uh, candelabras actually come out of the central base. Do they come out as angular straight lines like you'll see in a Chabad menorah, a Chanukiah and Hanukkah, or uh, the state of Israel, kind of more famous, uh, the rounded, uh, U, like let's call it uh, three sets of U's of different uh, sizes. Um and here we learn that Moshe Rabbeinu had a hard time understanding what God really meant. Say what? Well, release the limits of his imagination. Which it's, is, it's hard to understand that if you're just link speaking it out, right? It's yeah, like, I mean, every year, every year that I read this, and together with Rashi, who really tries to sort of speak it out in its details, I eventually I get overwhelmed. I mean, it's just like, wait, wait, the flower went after the ball or the the the, the branch, and the but. That phrase, he reached the capacity of his imagination, is very important because, as you said, that the um, the, the shulchan, the table, represents wealth and kingly power. The menorah represents wisdom. So it is a very important moment that Moshe, who of course is the embodiment of wisdom in the Jewish story, brings down the Torah from from temple, reaches the limits of his capacity, and God says, "Okay, I'll just give it to you." Right, but he, but when he says give it to you, and here's one of my favorite little devotees, when he says give it to you, he's going to show him a menorah of fire. fire, a menorah of fire. Now, I racked my mind for many years, and I use this, this little thing I'm about to say in shuls a lot of times. Why is it that God gave him a menorah of fire instead of a JPEG, a nice of little... The gold that he should have used, right. Right, or just here's, here's the, uh, what do you call those pictures that are instantaneous, or what are those... Uh, uh, well, Kodak, yeah, what's it called? Yeah. Uh, Polaroid. Uh, Polaroid pictures, whatever it is that just come out. By the way, that's back. I see kids doing that. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a new thing. Um, I see kids just like in the picture like prints out. It's cool. Uh, why, did he, why, did he give to, why did he show him finally when he was so uh, con- uh, you know, confounded by what the menorah is supposed to look like? Why did he give him menorah fire specifically? I give you three reasons very quickly. One, hey, Moses, you thought, and hey, Jewish people, and hey, everybody else, you guys thought that the fire of the menorah is only the candles lit on top? Guess what? The whole body is a fire. And therefore, even when, I'll give you another example of that. Let's say you're trying to do a, let's say you're, you're trying to make matzah. Kosher, you and I, we make matzah. You don't make matzah with me, but. The, no, the, we do it separately. Okay, but we make matzah here. So maybe just the end product, the matzah is the matzah. No, even the effort to make the matzah, even the effort to make the sukkah, even the effort to get up in the morning and to teach your children, all those things, that's also part of the fire. That's also part of the flame. The body of it. It's not only reaching the pinnacle, as we say. It's like, you don't have to finish the task. All of it is part of the fires. Just, just you, you may have not known that. The whole thing is fire. That's number one. Number two is that the Gentiles, the, the haters, not the Gentiles, scratch that word. The haters are going to come in, the jihadists, the Romans, whoever it is. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to burn down your temple. And you're going to say, oh, my God, the, the temple is gone. So guess what? I got a menorah fire with me up here. The original menorah. The fire menorah can't be destroyed. Can't be destroyed. The 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 the, the original block, the original uh, form of it, it's with me up here. And there's a Jerusalem in heaven. Nothing will ever touch that Jewish people. And even if you get down to the nub of the Jewish people after the Holocaust, I'll give you a rebirth because the the original imprint is is with me. And here's the most important number three. The most important reason 
and this is for you, Rabbi Mike. This cool. is for you specifically. Why is the menorah on fire? Because he was teaching him something about, not the menorah, but about pedagogy, about teaching. When a student comes to you with a question, don't give him a lame answer. Give it to him in fire. Mm. Teach it to him in fire. Teach it to kids in fire. I, I could have given you a picture. I could have explained it all. Yep. But it would have been bland. I got to give it to you in fire. That's how we have to teach our kids. We've got to excite them. Beautiful. The answer has to be uh, in fire. But in any case, uh, he was missing the, the understanding of this thing. And, and that's what the menorah is. The menorah is light itself. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to beam out light to the world, right? It beams out light to the world. And it represents that capacity to to release light from everything. Like in that image you're saying of, as a teacher of, of being on fire, I mean, the oil that we put in the menorah is the indication that, that the light is inside, right? You just have to get that spark. You have to, you have to release it, right? And, and in that sense, there's a trio here in the temple. There's the, there's the wealth of kingship on the north in the, in, the, uh, on the, in the shulchan of the table. There's that light of wisdom in the south in the menorah. And what lies directly between them, although offset toward the west, is the place of meeting with God, is the, is the cherubs and the ark. One more time. So you have the table, that's the... Uh, that is the, the wealth of kingship, of, of the embodiment of how to make something real in the world. Okay. Right? Um, in, the, in the south, you have the wisdom, which is that the light that lies within everything. But also, don't forget, Moshe reached the capacity of his understanding and God said, but I can always give you more. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, it's, but the wisdom comes from without and within. Mm-hmm. And what lies between them is the meeting with God, is the ark itself, even though it's, it's offset because Yifeh. it's the holiest of holies. Okay, two more points and then, and then we've got to wrap it up. First thing, um, here's the funny thing about, about the ark of the covenant. Uh, it's, it's in this holy of holies you kind of, it's an inner sanctum. You don't really enter it. And I always like to think of it as kind of receiving. It's hidden. I think of it a little bit as like the womb. It acts like the womb in that it holds these things, you know, this, this knowledge inside. And it's, it's seemingly a receiving end of things. Mm-hmm. It, and it's hidden away and you're going to come and visit it sometimes very rarely. It's like a womb thing. But then, interestingly enough, it's actually a broadcaster. It's where the the thing comes out of. I mean, right. it's a, it, it it takes in and it's got stuff, but it actually it actually uh, um, releases into this world, right? Yeah. Broadcast, and the child comes out of it seemingly. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, the menorah is more like let's say a male kind of uh, you know uh, energy. It's a broadcaster type of thing, shining the light, shining the light. But its arms are like it's it's. It reminds me that its arms are like open up to heaven, like send down the light to me and then I can refract it back. You know, I'm, 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 I'm like Moses coming out of, uh, out of Pharaoh's world and I kind of open my hands up to God and I say, it's you. There's something about the menorah which is like it's facing actually up uh, and it's not a candelabra per se but a receiver. So both these things have, have back and forth. And here's, here's the, the, the last question I have for you today. At the end of this Torah portion, we talk about the walls. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into the technical aspect of there's walls... And there's the, their, their planks and, and uh, bariach, these, these bars. It's a whole Lego system yeah. of interlocking. This thing like, yep. it like comes it down it, it like, and it like, and, the, and you carry these things and suddenly it's like. It's uh, all weather as well, you know. Right. And it's like this like super tent that, that happens, a tent of meeting. But it like understand that the, these are strong walls that are built oh, yeah. around the edges of it. And you're going to have this, this, these different uh, uh, partitions, parochet. 
Oh God, I didn't even get to the Mizbech. We'll have to get to it next week. But in any case, uh, uh, the, the courtyard. What well, the courtyard is going to be surrounding uh, these these um, uh, all all these parts, and yet the courtyard aspect of it is given to us at the end, at mm-hmm. the end of the Torah portion, mm-hmm. right? The the walls of it. Mm-hmm. So what comes first, the making of the vestments, vessels? Excuse me, vessels. Vestments is later. Vessels. Including also the what I didn't talk about the altar, which is where actually the sacrifices where you where we actually do the stuff of 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 bringing up korban. What comes first? The let's call it the inner meaning of things, and then the body, or first the body. Like later on, we'll learn. Betzala wants to make the body the outside, mm-hmm. give them the walls, and then only later fill them with the inner vessels. So the Torah gives it to us first in vessels, and then walls. And only the, and then later when it's made, it's first walls, then vessels. Which one is, is it? This is one of the deepest indications that the whole architecture of the Mishkan is actually meant to teach us about creation. Because the reality is we know this story. Right? We know it from Shabbat. Way back in the seven days of creation, right? One of the most beautiful lines that we as Jews say every Friday night is Sof right? It may have been the last act, but it was the primary intention. Right? So in the same way, the way the processes work in this world is you can't just have some perfect idea or some holy relationship and then build a structure which will hold it. Right? That there has to be an embodiment in this world. It's a world of embodiment. Here we are in the state of Israel. I'm willing to bet that neither you or I feel like we have achieved our purpose yet. Right? Not spiritually, not politically, not socially. At the same time... I certainly hope not, because if I felt like I achieved... If, if, if God thought I achieved my purpose... We'd be dead. We'd be gone. No, so. but I mean, just right. in the sense that oftentimes people, and there are many people, sadly today, some of my students here, who say, listen, you look around, it's a mess. We haven't achieved our purpose. We've lost our ideals. We haven't hit the mark of holiness. We, we just let this go. We should get rid of this project. All the boundaries that we've built are, are stepping on people and they're causing suffering. You know, and I understand is that. that. Cynica, is that cynicism? No, it's Would not cynicism. It's idealism. Mm. And it's the deadly side of idealism. Mm. Because idealism, in, particularly in the philosophical sense, can't handle reality. <laughs> it can't handle embodiment. Right? <laughs> but, but what's God telling you? Listen, man, throw down the boundary. It's true. It's not about the boundary. Don't make a mistake. This is not about the boundary and drawing the lines. It's about the content. But I got news for you. In the world I've made for you, you'll never have the content if you're not willing to throw down the boundary and then work for it. And the truth is, it might be at the end, you're going to have to lift that boundary and move it here, move it there. I don't know. Because ultimately, it's a story about the whole world. But if you think that you can create some perfect ideal and then find a way to give it space in the world, you'll be an idealist, but you'll never live in reality. Right, right. So in ideal, the vessels come down first and then the wall. Because they are the purpose. Right. But in action, the wall's got to come down first. Because that's the, the way reality right. is. And that's the state of Israel also. The state Absolutely. of Israel is like, it, it was, you know, it was founded as a defensive, uh, you know. Refuge. Refuge. And, and it's only growing into itself. As we grow into ourselves. Right. As it gives us the space to do so. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so critical. If you don't throw down that boundary. And listen, I, I, I hear the pain of my students around those boundaries and the costs and the moral issues there. But if you don't throw down that boundary, you can never have the conversation about who you want to be and how to transform the world. Right. But I also don't hear your students because I think it, it, it also takes a uh, heaping full of historical ignorance to understand. Listen, historical ignorance to, is to, one of to, the hallmarks of this generation. Right. To, <laughs> to, to, to not understand the moral superiority of the situation today 
as opposed to the horrific persecution of the Jewish people and, and, and also the mess of the world. Because it's an ahistorical worldview because most of them yeah. come from a, of a, of a very comfortable, safe environment, right. which has poured tremendous energy into being inclusive at the luxury of having walls and boundaries, by the way, which are just four, five, six thousand miles away being fought by people they never met, that they don't share a social cast with, that they don't inter interact with. So, yeah, it's a challenge. It's ahistorical and it's also a uh, proportional because, for example, I see that a lot of my liberal friends don't understand that Israel's still under the gun. They think that Israel's the big shot around here. That's They've right. totally bought into the, the Goliath David How reversal. How acted that way? Right, but they <laughs> totally believe Israel, you know, we're the, big, we're the big boys on the block. And it's like, you don't understand, if we would just take our finger off the, off the modi'in, the, 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 the intelligence work and the, and, the, and the fighting work that's happening every day, man, we'd be overrun in a second. There's, there's like, it's a, there, there are, uh, what are they called, wave breakers out there yes. that are stopping that yeah. are allowing us to live in this in this calmness okay rabbi mike foyer spiritual cafe yishai fleischer show the land of israel network rabbi mike can be reached at rav mike or rabbi mike at, at, uh, at the Facebook? land of israel i think i think it's actually rabbi mike rabbi mike at the land of israel.com yishai at the land of israel.com facebook is rav mike right and yishai fleischer respectively uh, on Facebook, and we want to hear from you. Please write us an email. Tell us what you think. Send a picture of yourself. Send a picture of your dog, of your kids, and of certainly of the flag of Israel if you're flying it or anything like that. We'd love for he to hear from you. I want to thank all the good people that make this show happen again. And again, I want to uh, rededicate the dedication that we made before to Grandpa George Reese, Grandma uh, Mildred Reese, uh, of loving memory uh, from uh, from Zev and Annie and, and the family there. Thank you so much for. Um, for giving us the honor of honoring their memory through the Torah learning of this show. Thank you very much. And thank you to Jack, uh, who sponsored this show uh, in honor of Lillian and his wife and, and his sister Sarah, wife Lillian, sister Sarah, and also Sarah uh, and her family, Nathan and Moshe, for supporting the show as well, and all the other good folks out there, including our good friend, the Michel family, uh, out in Switzerland. And just all over the world, we're, we're learning this Torah together. So thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Mike. Always uh, a pleasure. One, <laughs> we, we, we skipped the Mizbech, and we also skipped what we really wanted to talk about also uh, is getting ready for Purim. So my, 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 my one line here is start getting ready for Purim, folks. I want you to start reading the Megillah. Uh, for me this year, and I know for you as well, Rabbi Mike, we're really preparing for it mentally. I'm going to start putting some good Purim up on the Facebook page. Take a look. Okay, good Purim on the Facebook page. Oh, one more shameless plug. I want you to check out... Uh, shameless plug is, 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 is shameless. It's just great. It's without shame. Um, Do it. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to check out... Um, Started running with uh, for 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 Knesset through the Zahut party. Check out Zahut International, Z E H U T. Zahut means identity, and I had a great event in Tel Aviv last night with a thousand people and got a chance to uh, talk about really the future of Israel. So politics is also part of it. That's that boundary you were talking about, making it happen for real in Israel. And consider joining uh, the quote unquote party, you know, but joining the idea, and and you could do that internationally and actually have an impact. Uh, on the voting process for, for this party so that's lots of fun as well uh, what else that's it check out the rest of the shows on the land of Israel book your ticket for, for Israel when are you coming learn the Bible fall in love with God's holy word uh, buy property in the land of Israel raise your kids properly don't be too addicted to junk food and too much internet and get out there and run a little bit. And what else? Love each other. Love each other. There you go. All right, folks. Rabbi Mike, thanks again. Shabbat shalom. God bless you. 
Shabbat Shalom Yishai. And God bless you folks wherever you are. So stay tuned, stay strong, stay connected. God bless you once again and Shalom. The best place to stay in Jerusalem is at Windows of Jerusalem Vacation Apartments. Check out their website, www.windowsofjerusalem.com. They've got beautiful one, two, three, four bedroom apartments in the best location in the city center. The view, the location, plus the wonderful staff will truly make you feel at home in Jerusalem. Book your stay now at windowsofjerusalem.com. Hello. My name is Tommy Waller. I'm the founder and president of Hayyumel. More than 12 years ago, I made my first trip to the land of Israel. What I saw and heard changed my life forever. I stood with Nir Levi, an Orthodox Jewish man in his vineyard in Samaria on the Mountain of Blessing. There, he opened his Bible and read the prophecy of Jeremiah that said, you shall yet plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. We have the opportunity to join Israel as it celebrates the 50th year of the liberation of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. Come join us as we witness the unveiling of prophecy in the Jubilee year. Come be a part of the biblical narrative. Go to Hayovel.com, that's H-A-Y-O-V-E-L.com to find out more. And I hope to see you there.